Welcome to the CVE's podcast series created specifically for you, our partners in veterinary education hospitals. Through conversations with invited guests, we explore some of the challenges, based on your input, that can arise when hosting final year DVM students. Over these episodes, we take a look at teaching practical skills, providing feedback, the basics of clinical communication and a range of other topics. Our hope is that this series will offer you a tip or two that will help make clinical placements a more enjoyable and successful experience for you, your team and our students. I'm Simone Mar, Director of the Centre for Veterinary Education at the University of Sydney, and I am pleased to be presenting another one of our podcasts specifically developed for our partner in veterinary education clinics. And I am delighted today to be discussing how to teach clinical skills with the wonderful Dr. Kate Mills. Welcome, Kate. Thanks, Simone. Now, Kate, you and I go way back to our days at the RSPCA together. But for those who don't know who you are the way that I do, Kate, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. Okay. Well, um, I'm a veterinarian. I've been working in general practice for, dare I say, 20 years, Um, probably about eight of those at the RSPCA, um, some of those alongside yourself. Um, so having a grounding in sort of general practice, um, various practices throughout Sydney, I also, uh, did some work out in Broken Hill. Um, I then have moved into, um, sort of the teaching space, taking a position, uh, at the university teaching surgery skills and, um, kind of foundation clinical skills, uh, throughout the DVM program. Fantastic, Kate. So I feel like you're a a perfect person to really be talking to about the not just the teaching, but the way clinical skills are learned with sort of the experience in both camps in being in the university environment. But before that, having spent many years overseeing, you know, sort of constant streams of interns coming through busy clinical practices. So thinking back to your time in practice, what do you find when you were doing that was most challenging about trying to teach clinical skills? Yeah, I think there's a multitude of things that um, that I can think of to answer that question. Uh, certainly the variability in sort of um, the daily routine of the practice and trying to manage a busy caseload and um, client communications and all those things and and basically keep the show on the road and get the job done um, whilst also providing the students with a really good learning opportunity. Uh, I think that's one challenge. Um, And then I think another challenge is also uh, the variability in the um, sort of the student uh, experience, level of experience and level of confidence um, and, and their ability to kind of get involved and engage in, in what you're doing. So I think they're probably the two big ones I would rate. So knowing what you know now, what will you have done differently Knowing what I know now, I think as a clinician in practice, we probably underestimate um, the opportunities that 
um, are actually right in front of the students um, if we can kind of tap into them in an effective way. And how, how do you actually do that, Kate? Because I think one of the trickiest things is something you, you referred to before where you're trying to run a busy practice, you're trying to maintain your standards of care, your client communication, juggling everything that makes up a busy day in practice. What's the best way to integrate the component of clinical skills teaching and learning into that picture? I think there's probably several aspects to it. I think one is having that initial um, kind of communication with the student to understand where they are at and what their learning goals are when they come to the practice. Um, Obviously, at different times of the year, they're going to have different levels of experience and competence. Um, So how involved uh, they may want to be and what they feel comfortable with doing and also what you feel comfortable with involving them in will be different from when they first come out in the first rotation compared to um, when they're right at the end of their DVM for potentially having also had internship placements at the university that are completed. So um, I think first of all, understanding or trying to grasp what their goals are, where they think they're at um, and what they'd like to achieve and trying to then say to them, um, well, these are, that's your expectation. This is potentially what we can deliver at our practice and trying to kind of have a match of those objectives, I think is really useful. I think the other thing is to, um, I think to move away from thinking so much about the student needing to have a learning opportunity that is sort of from beginning to end. Um, so potentially having a framework in your head as a clinician thinking um, they've got to do this entire procedure and I don't particularly feel comfortable about that um, to thinking how can we break down this into components and do those components match what the student is actually wanting to achieve and by involving them in a very small component of a whole procedure that may be amazing for them and actually in fact exactly what they want to achieve. For example um, in a surgical procedure having your students scrub in with you when you're doing a spay and rather than you know putting a a two-hour period for them potentially to muddle through an entire procedure uh, with strict supervision (laughs) from yourself, it might be to say, okay, like let's um, just get you to close the abdominal wall with my guidance right there helping you or let me see you um, do your subcutaneous closure with buried knots, um, something like that. And it may be that if you've got them scrubbed in for surgery with you for a session of surgery, they do the skin sutures, for example, and that for them would be a massive learning opportunity and also an option for you to be able to um, evaluate what they're able to do and provide them with meaningful feedback um, once they're completing that. Kate, that that is really genius advice because, I mean, I've suddenly found that making you, you sort of feel a pressure as a supervising clinician to give the students a good experience and then you're trying to squeeze that into an overloaded schedule already. Mm. Like you say, it might be two hours or more for a cat spay. Um, So I I think that's genius, sort of integrating them into the experience but in in a manageable way in a small chunk and not underestimating how valuable even that 
piece of experience, even though it's not the the whole procedure, is potentially to a student. And it's it's really better to have them doing something that that you can integrate into practice rather than think, I don't have time for the whole thing, so they won't get anything at all. Yeah. And I think even from um, a communication perspective, um, for example, with a busy consulting practice, uh, you know, if if that's part of their learning objective, which of course we're hoping it will be, um, potentially them taking the medical history, even that um, consistently for one morning, introducing themselves to the client, bringing the client into consult, finding out the history and writing a few notes and um, being able to really talk to you um, about what they think the presenting complaint is and what the client's concerns are. Even if they, they did that consistently, they just spent 10 minutes before you started the consultation doing that. And uh, the principle of sort of um, teaching on the run, it may be that you don't have the opportunity every single consult to debrief about that. But if they did that for one morning consulting session and then sort of, you know, you set aside 15 minutes or 20 minutes uh, on, at a particular moment when you can to then go, okay, well, let's talk about how you went with that. I noticed that you had a rapport. I noticed, you know, and and those sorts of things are very meaningful then because you're able to provide uh, feedback to the student as you're going. Fantastic. When we... When we talk about clinical skills, do you have a specific method that you employ if you're trying to assist someone to learn a skill from square one? What's your approach? Yeah, I think um, having an understanding as w- of what happens at university and then how we're trying to um, prepare our students to then go into a clinical environment is really helpful uh, in this discussion and also understanding that we try to use sort of validated learning frameworks um, to help the students with that learning journey. And so, yeah, I suppose from beginning to end, what we try to do um, is use one of these frameworks and basically what that involves is starting out um with the students understanding the concept behind the skill. So we sort of try to ask the students, okay, thinking about this skill, what is the governing principle that will determine, you know, a correct or competent performance? See if they're able to discuss that with you. The second thing would be um, having a demonstration of the skill. And um, in that opportunity, if you're going to demonstrate it prior to them um, performing the skill, obviously, then you can have this discussion about whether there's different ways that they've been taught or different things that you've adapted that you do in practice. And we do talk to students about that, that there may be variable ways of doing things. Um, And a discussion on why those things might be different is very um, beneficial for the students. And also it helps you to understand um, their level of understanding. Uh, The second thing would also, so the third thing then would be a deconstruction of the skills. So when you're demonstrating to the, the, the skill, then actually talking to them about the various components parts um, and being able to sort of um, help them with understanding each component and and why you do one thing one way that then leads into the next step. Uh, the final thing would be um, narration and we talk about that actually being the students being able to narrate to you um, what the steps are. 
It's almost like being able to explain the skills so we know that they know the order of the sequence and we know that they're able to sort of link the dots together in why they do things a certain way. And then the final thing is that they actually then have the opportunity to perform the skill and then get feedback from you. So we use that framework when we're teaching a skill for the first time at the university um, and we also get them to practice the skill after they've been taught in a laboratory setting, then they will um, have a whole kind of array of resources that they can use as a learning scaffold to enable them to have um, effective self-guided practice outside the classroom. Um, And the old saying, practice makes perfect, um, it's practicing the correct techniques makes perfect. And so um, they've got sort of demonstration videos and photo guided instructions and skills checklists that they can refer to to help them kind of grapple with the quality standard, what they're doing, and then how um, whether their performance actually differs from what we're wanting them to do. And all of that is then in preparation for them going out into the clinics. So obviously they have their internship placements at, at, at our hospitals and then also the application of these skills um, when they go on their extramural placements. Um, so, you know, using that framework when they go to perform a skill for the first time in your hospital, probably trying to mimic that would be exceptionally helpful because it will enable them to understand, um, you know, how it is done at your practice. They get the opportunity to observe it again with you, discuss the nuances, differences in technique, and then, um, you know, you can actually demonstrate to them what you would like them to do. You can confer with them so that they understand the steps that they need to take and then under close supervision you can you can guide them. I think it's important also with that to understand that um, students are very different in not only their competence but also their confidence and we've got sort of two issues with that. Some may be ov- overly confident in their ability and their ability isn't quite what we want it to be and others may actually be really underconfident because they haven't had a lot of exposure but actually their skills may be really good. Um, so it's important to to understand that for both those different types of students, um, you know, very close supervision is always recommended. And then how do you go about... I guess, providing feedback or correcting that, Kate, in in either of those examples. So either the the really nervous student who just doesn't seem to want to have a go at anything or the overconfident student who's like, oh, yeah, right, I can do that. I've, I've, you know, I'm all over that. And they sort of, you know, jump in and you're sort of like, whoa, hang on. How, how, How do you actually navigate that? so that you're maximising their learning experience and also, I guess, minimising your your stress and making sure that the patient outcomes aren't impacted? It's a really good question. I think we've um, integrated this into the DVM clinical skills teaching um, program at the university um, in that we're sort of really starting to focus on this evaluative judgment principle so that the students do engage in peer learning activities um, and they've they've been involved in looking at their own skill um, and actually evaluating the skill of a colleague and providing them with feedback um, and in that way, we've started to integrate that process so that they're used to thinking about what they're doing 
and thinking about what they may be doing correctly and incorrectly, self-reflecting on that and also being able to provide a colleague with um, information that will help them to perform better in the future. And I think because we've started to integrate that, we've seen a change in self-awareness We've also seen much better in DBM4 internships, um, we are getting the students to self-evaluate prior to then the, the tutor evaluating them and providing feedback. And we're seeing after those two things have happened, a closer um, match between their um, evaluation of themselves and also the clinician's evaluation. Where they're different, I think it's also a really important um, opportunity to um, have a collegial discussion around, okay, well, we, you know, oh, it's interesting, this one we differed on. Um, let's have a chat about that. Um, a classic one I have with my students when they do their first um, desexing procedure is often they will say with the, um, you know, the triple ligation of the ovarian pedicle, um, you know, that they felt that they were uh, uh, satisfactory. And I'll say to them, oh, so I noticed you put that satisfactory. And I was saying, how would you feel if you had to just do that completely by yourself without any assistance from me or supervision? Oh, and then they'll be like, oh, no, oh, no, actually, I, you did really help me with that. You held everything away and you told me where I should put the clamp and da, da, da. I'm like, okay, well, I think maybe that was with guidance. And so you can sort of have a collaborative reflection um, and often that will help the student sort of be on the same page as yourself. And I think the other thing too is with the feedback, um, trying to be mindful of not just saying, well, that was good or that wasn't good. What we're trying to think about with meaningful feedback is how can I give information that you will be able to incorporate into your future practice that will then take you to the next learning stage? Because always there's, wherever you're at, and I describe that to my students, I say, well, if I'm here operating with um, my specialist and they're reviewing what I'm doing, I have a big learning curve and there's things that I need to uh, incorporate into my practice to improve. So we're all always going to be able to improve and it's being able to provide that um, feedback that will enable them to go on to the next learning stage with what they're doing. Kate, so many hints and tips for incorporating clinical skills, uh, teaching and, and maximising learning in um, in busy clinical practice. I particularly like your idea about um, dividing things up into small chunks and, and letting students have experience, you know, if, with that, if you can't, if you can't do the whole procedure. And I really think your suggestion of making sure that expectations are evaluated and discussed at the start can be so valuable because the last thing you want is to get to the end and the students saying, oh, you know, it's awful if they say I had the worst experience, you know, <laughs> I didn't get to do anything that, that I wanted to do. And that's come up quite often in these uh, these podcast interviews that, that we've been doing is the importance of the regular, even just casual chats, checking in, keeping that that feedback friendly and and specific and constructive uh so really um some really valuable information there kate thank you so much any final pearls of wisdom before we wrap it up yeah i suppose the final thing i'd say is i think we underestimate with psychomotor skills learning it's repetition 
and then practice and then revision and improving. And I think um, we all, the students, I suppose, they get out into practice and they want to do everything. But it's interesting if we were to actually um, nominate a core selection of things in a particular moment that they could actually replicate, repeat, refine, improve under your guidance, that may actually offer them a much better learning opportunity. And you may be able to choose whether that's, you know, some particular skill in a consultation or it's some particular skill um, like in, you know, clinical skill like taking blood or putting in an IV catheter. But for a lot of the procedural skills um, that they're going to rely on, if they develop competency in them, then they're going to be a much safer vet. So your um, contribution to this learning for them is just so valuable. So thank you very much. (laughs) Well said, Kate. Thank you so much for your company today. And thanks to everyone listening. And I hope you can join me on our next podcast session. Take care.